My father was loving, but he was took from me when I was 11 years old. And he was murdered, like he told me he was going to give me some Popeyes and drove off and I'm expecting the Popeyes and we just heard a bunch of gunshots. I remember me and my friends was in the gym and we like, somebody probably got popped, somebody got popped. And we was like basically still playing basketball, laughing about it. And then I seen some Latin guys who didn't speak English, was like, El Capitan, El Capitan. And I knew that that's what they called my daddy. They was crying, and I was like, oh, something had to happen to my dad. And we're here, he was dead on the scene. That probably was the worst information I could get. That was at a young age, but that's when life started happening, really. My dad, I thought I lost it all. Lost it all. Lost it all. Montrell Harris is from an area in southeastern San Francisco called Bayview Hunters Point, traditionally home to some of the city's highest levels of poverty, crime, disease, and unemployment. Montrell was a young boy when he lost his father and spent his teenage years living with his mother and grandmother. He bounced around from one school to another, eventually dropping out after his freshman year in high school. And now at age 20, Montreal has a second chance, thanks in part to an organization called the Reset Foundation. Reset is a nonprofit whose mission is to help people lift themselves out of poverty by transforming the criminal justice system. That's right, by transforming prison. Here at VerityCast, we sat down with two of Reset's people to talk about creative ideas, about building an open organization, and about taking a vision from concept to reality to growth. Here's an excerpt from our conversation with Jane Mitchell, the CEO, Paul Perry, the executive director of the Bay Area chapter, and Chris Tabish, host of VerityCast. So the Reset Foundation is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to help young men who are involved in the criminal justice system get themselves and their families out of poverty. And the way that we do that is um, instead of sending somebody to prison when they come in front of a judge, they're sent instead to an educational campus where everything about the campus is focused on their success. There's lots of classes, they get their diploma, their high school diploma, get ready for college, get ready for a career, start working, and then have a lot of social-emotional supports and life skills development as well. And so just going back to the roots, because I, I had an intro to the Reset Foundation about a year ago. Can you tell me about one, how you guys came to the, up with the idea, and two, how it merged into actual becoming a, a reality, a nonprofit business? Um, so I first had the idea when I was in college to do it, when I was a senior in college. I had tutored in, and taught in jail. I think there were two things throughout those experiences that, that really impressed me um, for the need for something like Reset. First of all is just the need itself and there's an incredible amount of injustice in the system and when you start hearing the stories of the people that are that are locked up um, you just realize how backwards the system is 
I had one student who, when she was five, her dad would give her alcohol to see, you know, fill her little pink sippy cup with alcohol, and because he wanted to see what a five-year-old would look like drunk, you know, and and of course all her brothers were in prison, and it's it's no wonder that she's in jail, and of course her kids afterwards are, are likely to end up there as well, and and you would just hear these stories and and be like, well, the last thing on earth that she needs is to be locked up in this cage and told she's an awful human being and have zero chances after she leaves. Um, so seeing so many of those stories live and really getting to know those, those students of mine through those experiences really just taught me the need for it and, and showed me how backwards what we're doing is. Um, at the same time, there, there, was a, there was a possibility to do something different and there was hope for a vastly different solution. And so I moved out to the East Coast, eventually did a grad program where I spent a lot of time putting it out on paper and thinking about how it could possibly work. And I think for me, um, you know, to your second question, the clincher for how to actually take it from idea to reality, I mean, it came, the answer is support. It came from having a lot, a lot of support. For me, it started with professors. I had professors at Columbia Law School and Columbia Teachers College that were incredibly supportive. So many other organizations said, hey, can we share, you know, this is great, can we share our, our best practices with you? Eventually, I met my co-founder, Jen, and she was really excited about it. It would have gone nowhere without her. School, I thought it wasn't for me at all. I always was a skateboarder. They used to call me a little black skater kid, Lupe Fiasco. It didn't work, you know, so I didn't take the school route. Like ninth grade, I went to school. I basically dropped out and they never even knew, you know, like they just like erased my name out the system basically. Erased my name out the system basically. It took me till I was 19 years old, I think. I was 19. I don't know, I had like a divine intervention where I'm like, I gotta do something. I was seeking out to any program, whether it was a GED, a high school diploma, anything. I gotta do something. I gotta do something. The Reset Foundation can trace its roots to a time when its co-founder and CEO, Jane Mitchell, was in grad school, brainstorming some of her ideas as a way to flesh out what she thought was the best way to reform criminal justice. So I'll say first that the first part of the writing down process was uh, I had when I was a senior, I was, I was just brainstorming how you could either change the prison system or, or help folks get out of poverty. And I, um, probably once a day, I would have an idea and I would just jot it on a post-it note and then stick the post-it note on my wall. So I probably had like, I don't know, 50, 60, maybe 100 post-it notes on the wall. Can you give me an example of an you idea? You know, well, I mean, one idea, one other idea for the prison system was, well, what if you started a consulting firm that was focused on education that was specifically for the vast majority of people who are, who are in prison? And then you could go around and kind of offer your services to different correctional states or, or, or correctional departments um, and help them provide much better services. Um, so that could be one idea. And, and I would just throw up all these ideas um, and, you know, I would kind of, I would kind of think about them and take them down when I, when I thought that they were bad or, well, this has this problem and, you know, this one, it's helpful, but it, it wouldn't really fix the, you know, it's not, it's not really sustainable or whatever it is. And reset is one that just 
the idea just got, got better and better and it stayed on the wall forever. And eventually I took every, everything else down. Um, and then, and so that was the initial, it was just inside of my head, really vetting it against theoretical problems, problems in the model, implementation problems. And how long did that, did that vetting process, did this sticky process? Ah, several months. I, I probably had like, I don't know, four or five months of, of that. And then when I got to grad school, I, I made the transition from one sticky note to a one pager and then a 10 pager and then a 50 page, 50 page document. And in the 50 pager, was that the mission? Was that the organizational structure? Was that the, you know, the schedule of classes? I mean, how detailed did you get it before you actually had the, the courage to kind of go out and say, hey, right. this is what, what right. this is about? So the, the 50 pager really was laying out, one, what does this look like? And two, how could it work? So what does this look like? Um, I mean, we have these five reset pillars, relationships, education, social, emotional supports, employment, and time. Here's the main areas of the program, and in order to be successful, here's what here's some key principles for each of those main areas. Um, and so, so I would have you know some detail about what that needs to look like, how it needs to be personalized, a very customized approach, and and I I think I did include a list of classes that we would offer, but it wasn't you know I wasn't writing out unit plans or lesson plans, certainly not that level of detail. It wasn't mapping out you know every single thing just because I recognized that there was so much else that could change. How do you build an organization that's all about the openness and then a, a, a value or a, or a culture? How do you build that? Yeah, great question. It does start with hiring. I mean, I think when you bring on new people, we do look for humility. Like we hire for humility, um, among other things. But but there have definitely been some candidates that have come in who have been really skilled. But you could tell that they didn't have a growth mindset and that it was more about them and and their ego and and. Um, I feel like humility is one of the most important and undervalued characteristics that can that someone can have and, and can develop. How, how do you test for that? In in a hundred ways, I feel like it comes out in a lot of ways. It comes out in everything from from your conversations with them and um, sometimes to open ended questions that give them the chance to speak. Oftentimes, what they choose to talk about can give you a sense of are you more interested in your career and pushing yourself forward versus um, you know, you care about the happiness of others and you're willing to, you know, to swallow your pride and to learn. You know, meekness is not weakness. Like there's a difference and um, you can be humble and very confident and very skilled at the same time. So in addition to hiring the right people, uh, what is that that you bring, the culture that you bring? You know, when I listen to you guys talk, it's about we, it's about humility, it's about a shared vision. Uh, you know, if you walk into a Fortune 500 organization, they'll have slogans on the wall, they'll give leadership presentations, but you talk to them individually a lot of times, it's about me, it's about the, the profit, and one person's about this, and the, you know, but it doesn't feel that way here. It feels very unison. How, how do you sort of bring that into a culture where you're all marching as a we together? Yeah. I think making sure that those feedback mechanisms are there is really important. Um, we very early on, um, Jen and I, when we started working together, just made sure to give each other feedback once a week and, and schedule that in there. And we've, we tried to do that when we started hiring other folks too. So, um, you uh, know? So, and I'm sorry, so that sharing the feedback, did you actually have a time where this time is our time, I'm going to give you feedback constructive good and you're going to give me the same or did it, was it like a... It depends. I think there's, I think ideally we would like it, you know, Paul mentioned earlier, just to have it be free flowing so it doesn't feel like a thing to bring up feedback, but it's mm -hmm. just, hey, by the way, when you said that, it really rubbed me the wrong way and here's why. Um, so that it's not a big deal. I think 
in particularly busy times or when there's been a lot of travel, that's been hard. And so in those cases, I think it is especially to make sure that you do have something on the calendar that doesn't get moved or that you really are going to reserve a good 15 minutes of your check-in for it. Um, but it kind of depends on the individual and, and you know, it is a little bit case by case. But we've done written feedback as well. Um, we've done, uh, we try to have a monthly forum where the whole staff gets together and they can just ask any question either anonymously, you know, they can submit it beforehand or just bring it up. You set the tone early on and I think admitting mistakes and being willing to come forward and apologize, little things like that, I think just send signals and making sure that, that people see those and then feel comfortable doing the same themselves is important. And that's what I think is a unifying principle for our staff. You're only going to be able to move these guys if you can move yourself. So once you get people on the same page of that like collective growth mindset, both as an individual and as a, as a team, that really, I think, drives the work forward. You know, and, and the conversations that we have, the morning circles where we're talking, we're bringing our personal stuff. We're flawed, you know, human individuals who bring all of ourselves and all these guys haven't experienced, you know, teachers and counselors and, and uh, mentors like that before. And so they really appreciate it and allows us to do great things, building off of that foundation, I think. So I guess if you can't transform yourself, you're not likely to transform anybody else. That's 100% correct. Yeah. It's remarkable. It takes a remarkable group of people in terms of hiring and then also as a leader in terms of developing that and modeling that. You gotta, you gotta keep at it, fail, keep going, you know, and, and build. So I'm pretty, it's pretty refreshing. I think you're the only guest so far that said, how, what makes you successful? And you said, failing. Failure. <laughs> What do you tell yourself in terms of that point that you failed to get back up and, and, and rise again? Because I think we all go through failure, but it's a matter of how you, you take it from there. I think part of it's just having like a growth mindset. You know, Jan and I had joked about this, like take really hard feedback as leaders. So, you know, I got feedback from my team that because half my job is, you know, development, I'm out in the field and, I'm, and I got a little disconnected from that classroom. So as soon as I got that feedback, the first place I walk into every single day when I come in this building is the classroom. They appreciate it so much. It helps me do a better job and make better decisions. So that was a, a failure, you know, but it was great feedback and it really allowed me to, to grow from it. So I guess if, if you were to give that our listeners some advice, so because I think a lot of people feel passionate about something, they want to change the world. Uh, what advice would you give to them as far as taking that first step forward of, you know, you can do it, here's, here's that first thing you can do to get started? I guess the thing that comes to mind for me is it's a lot of little steps. I think we are in a day and age and I think we want fast and easy. Um, and I think with some of the most needed and most important work that needs to be done in this country, it's, it doesn't happen quickly and it doesn't happen easily. It's a lot of small steps. That's a already strike one. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so I feel like, uh, I mean, I think that that is what Reset has been. There's been millions of small moments um, by so many of us on staff and so many other people that have helped us to get where we are today. And, and it's just willingness to keep taking one step at a time, another day. Just keep going, just stay determined, just stick to that vision. You guys, it's been so great having you on the Thank show. You. I would like to leave our listeners, if they want to find out more about the Reset Foundation, where can they go to learn more? Yeah, they can go to uh, www.theresetfoundation.org and um, we encourage them to support us in any way they can. I didn't try so many programs, none of them could get me to stay. Reset is like, 
it, it made me want to stay. The reset made me feel like, like we said, it's, it's like a brotherhood. They don't judge me. They feel like they've been knowing me forever. Thanks in part to the Reset Foundation's vision and growth, Montreal has a second chance. I'm a flowing river that, that just like, is gonna go to wherever it could go, but it's gonna continually flow. It's kind of like a huge estuary. I'm taking all opportunities, those breaks and waterways that I'm going to as opportunities, and I'm gonna take them all. I feel like an estuary. To learn more about Paul, Jane, and the rest of the Reset team and their work, visit www.theresetfoundation.org. This is VerityCast, hosted by Chris Tavish and produced in San Francisco. Yeah, I feel like an estuary. That's a good question. <laughs>